0: Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. This evening we want to continue our recent study concerning the heart of Christ for us as his disciples on earth, now that he has been raised back up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. We began to look at this some months ago and we asked the question, what is the heart of Christ for us now that he has gone back into his glory above it is possible and it does often happen among men on earth that when one is raised to a high position he forgets those whom he once knew and no longer cares for those whom he left behind and so is it possible for such a thing to happen with our Lord Jesus Christ as he has now ascended back into heaven and we have found we have found that such a thing could never happen to him, that though he is in a place that is far more happy and a wonderful, glorious place above, that he has ascended to his heavenly Father, yet his heart of love and affection for us as his disciples on earth has in no way lessened or been diminished. His heart remains the same toward us because. He himself is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He can never forget us as his disciples on earth. Though we do not see him, yet he always sees us. And he has more thoughts for each one of us every day than the sand upon the seashore. And we are his constant care and affection and attention. And he never sleeps, he never slumbers, and he always is watching over us from above. And we saw this in several ways, especially from his promises made in the upper room discourse in John chapter 14 through 16, and then in his prayer in John chapter 17, which is a pattern of his intercessory prayer in heaven for us now tonight. And last time that we looked at the heart of Jesus, we saw him in his ascension as he was being lifted up from the earth. His hands were stretched out over his disciples as he pronounced blessings upon them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, that he departed from them. A most astonishing thing that the last sight of Jesus on earth was that of his outstretched arms and blessings upon his disciples. And that gave us, that does give us a most clear sight into his heart of love and blessing as he continues in his intercession in heaven for us. As we continue to look at this subject this evening, we begin with a question, which is, what is it that Jesus most desires from us on earth? Or we may ask the question this way, What most delights the heart of Christ in heaven? Any number of things may quickly come to our minds. We may think our obedience to his commandments is what most delights his heart. Or perhaps we might say our desire to know him and to grow more in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ perhaps our praise and thanksgiving or perhaps our desire to witness for him in the world is what most delights his heart any number of things could come to our minds and all of these things surely do bring delight to him but our question is what most what most delights His heart above all other things, now that he has been raised back into heaven. And there are two things that most delight his heart, and they are faith and love. Our faith in him and our love to him. And we see this in a couple of passages this evening. We are looking at verses after his resurrection because after his resurrection we see a clear window into his heart now that he is in glory above. And here in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, Jesus walks with the two men on the road to Emmaus, and they are sad and they are downcast over what has happened. They speak of their hope that Jesus, who was a great prophet and mighty in deed and word, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But he had been crucified three days before, and they thought his crucifixion was the end of all their hopes in him. And even though some women had not found his body in the tomb, and they said he was alive, they could not believe what they said. And Jesus heard this conversation of these two men, and we see what he said to them in verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? In verse 25, he very gently reproves them. He calls them foolish men and slow of heart. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart. But for what does he call them by these terms? And what was their sin that he spoke of such that he spoke to them in this way? It was for their sin of unbelief. This was the only thing that he spoke of to them, And it was his only great concern over them. O foolish men and slow of heart, he says, to believe, to believe in all, to believe in everything that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? The prophets had spoken of both the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. This was the reason why they were so downcast and so distressed along the road, because they had failed to believe in everything that the prophets had spoken. First must come his sufferings, then will come his glory. If they had only had faith in the words of the prophets, then it would have been joy and comfort to them. Faith is what Jesus most desires, but they had fallen into unbelief, which became the cause of his reproof. We see the same thing in Mark chapter 16. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at the table. And Mark tells us that he reproached them or he rebuked them. And for what did he reproach them? not for their forsaking him and their abandoning him at the cross as they had done, but he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after his resurrection. Unbelief is what most grieves his heart and it is what he upbraids them for many times he had told them the Son of Man must suffer and be put to death and rise again on the third day, and they should have believed in his word. Faith is what he most desires and rejoices in, but he had to reproach them for their unbelief. We can turn to the Gospel of John and chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verses 24 through 29. Verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and be not believing, be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believed. The Lord had appeared to his disciples on the previous week, on the first day of the week, the day of his resurrection, Thomas Was not there. But Thomas had now heard the testimony of the other disciples that they had seen the Lord. The other ten disciples, all ten of them, gave witness to Thomas that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. In verse 25, we can hear all 10 of them as they plead with Thomas to believe. As they say with one voice, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. He is no longer in the tomb. He is risen and he is alive. Why will you not believe? But Thomas was adamant and he still refused to believe unless he said, I see. And I put my finger into the place of his nails and my hand into his side. After eight days, the disciples are gathered together again. Jesus came among them. And at the end of verse 26, he stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. But then in verse 27, he turned to Thomas because he knew everything that Thomas had said though he was not there, and he must address his unbelief. And Jesus graciously conceded to Thomas to satisfy his desire on this occasion, and in verse 27, he invites him to reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And then Jesus invites him to believe at the end of verse 27. He says, and be not unbelieving, but believing. This is what he most desired for Thomas to be believing. This is what most delights the heart of Christ, faith. Be not unbelieving, but be believing. And then Thomas finally confessed in verse 28, my Lord and my God. And Jesus gently reproves Thomas for the slowness with which he came to believe. In verse 29, by asking him a question. Because you have seen, you have believed. Have you believed? Is it only because you have seen, Thomas, that you have come to believe in me? And then he tells Thomas that he would have been more blessed if he had believed without seeing. He says, blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. He pronounces a higher blessing on those who believe without seeing, because faith is what he most desires, and faith is what brings his blessings down upon men. Blessed are they who did not see, and yet still believe. Unbelief is that which most grieves him. Faith is what gives him most delight and what he takes most pleasure in. This is after his resurrection that these words are spoken here. This is just before his ascension back into heaven. And so here we see the heart of Jesus and what it is like as he is now ascended. He desires faith above all things. What is it, we said, what is it, we asked, that most delights the heart of Christ now that he is exalted back into heaven and we are still here on earth? And our answer is our faith in him and our confidence in his word and our trust in his promises. But we are like the disciples and like Thomas so often with So much remaining unbelief and doubts that arise so often in our hearts. And by our unbelief, we show that we do not trust him completely. And we do not have full confidence in him as we should. Perhaps we think at some way, at some point along the way, he will not prove to be all that we need as the Savior. And his word will in some way fail us. The time will come when he will not come through for us. We know that we will fail him, and we often do. But perhaps we fear that when we fail him, then in return, he will fail us. And all of our hopes will be dashed. But nothing grieves him more than unbelief. Faith is what delights his heart and what he most desires from us now that he is exalted back into heaven. And when we believe, then we have complete confidence in him and trust in all that we know to be true of him from the scriptures. We believe in his great power to help us. We rest completely in his love and faithfulness. We trust his wisdom And we know his grace that so freely is given to every one of his disciples. Has he not promised to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity and to make us clean in the sight of God? And should we not believe in those promises? Has he not said, my grace is sufficient, my power is perfected in weakness in all of your trials? Has he not promised us I will never leave you nor forsake you and that he will sanctify us completely and bring us into his eternal kingdom? Did he not say back in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and I give eternal life to them? and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Is not the scriptures, is not the scripture packed full of divine promises to us from the beginning to the end? And has he not said the scripture cannot be broken? We are on earth in this world of so much sin and trouble, confusion and sorrow, He is in heaven at the right hand of God. He is in glory, majesty, and power. And as he looks down upon us, this is what he most desires. This is what he most takes delight in, that we have this simple, childlike faith. And we trust him, and we have complete confidence in him, in all of our needs, in all of our troubles the second thing which jesus most delights in in heaven is for our love to him where there is faith there will also be love because faith and love are always together and we see how much jesus desires love from us now that he is in heaven from the next chapter here in John chapter 21. We'll turn over to John chapter 21, and we read in verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd, my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times publicly before many witnesses on the eve of his crucifixion. Three times Peter was asked by a servant girl if he knew Jesus. Three times Peter denied that he did, even with cursing, he said, I do not know the man, a most grievous failure and a terrible sin on the part of Peter. And Peter had seen Jesus on several occasions since the resurrection, but this was now the first time that Jesus spoke to Peter in the Gospels. And they both knew the issue of Peter's denial must eventually be dealt with. It was like the elephant in the room. How does Jesus deal with it? Not by upbraiding Peter for it or by strongly rebuking him. Not even by reminding him of his sin for Peter well remembered it already but only by drawing out a testimony of Peter's love for him. This was Jesus' only concern. And this is what he wished to know. Does Peter love him? Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter responded, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The third time he only adds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The fellowship between Christ and Peter had been broken and had to be restored fully. Peter had already repented and he had wept bitterly over his sin. There was no need to revisit those things again. This is all Jesus desired. This is all he wanted, an expression of love for him. And he desired to hear it three times because this is what he most delights in, to hear from us, our love for him. Do we tell him that we love him? And do we confess our love to Jesus in prayer? We may think of a marriage relationship, what kind of a marriage would it be if there are no expressions of love our relationship to christ is to be closer than any other relationship on earth and this is what he desires is our expression of love to him and when he hears that we do love him it is enough because jesus knows that everything else will flow out of that love all of our obedience will flow out of love as he said if you love me you will keep my commandments and all of our service and all of our sacrifice for him will flow out of our love for him in luke chapter 7 jesus said of the sinful woman who wiped his feet with her tears he said that she loved much because she was forgiven much Jesus here in John chapter 21, he is very close to his ascension back into heaven. And this is what he desires most from Peter, this expression of love. Surely this is a window into the heart and into the desires of Christ now that he is back in glory. The question is, do we love him much Because we see how much we have been forgiven. And do we love him much because we see how great and terrible our sins are. And how freely and how fully he has met all of our needs by his death and by his blood upon the cross. There is nothing more that could ever be required of us. And the cross gives us a certain entrance into heaven. Our love for Jesus comes first from his love toward us as John says we love because he first loved us loved us and though he already knows that we love him he desires to hear our confession lord you know that i love you so faith and love these are the two things that jesus most desires As he has ascended into glory, these these are the things that give most delight to his heart, heart. Our faith, our trust, our confidence in him and in his word and promises and our love to him. And out of our faith will flow all of our confidence and out of our love will flow all our obedience, all our service and all our worship of him. We notice that each time after Peter confessed his love to Jesus, Jesus told him how that love should be seen. We see it at the end of verse 15 where Jesus said, Tend my lambs. And then we see it again at the end of verse 16 where he said, Shepherd my sheep. Once again, a third time at the end of verse 17 Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Three times Jesus commanded Peter to care for his sheep who are his people on earth. He is the good shepherd of the sheep who lays down his life for his sheep, and he has already laid it down and taken it up again, and he is about now to ascend back up into heaven, where he will still be the good shepherd who loves and cares for all of his sheep. But how will his love for his sheep, and how will his care for them, be made known when he is so far removed from them in the world of glory above. This is one of the ways that he will manifest his love and care for them. He will give them under shepherds who will feed them from his word and who will care for them. These are the last commands of Jesus to Peter before he ascends. And they have to do with his care and the needs of his people still on earth. And so this shows us the heart of Christ and that his care continues now that he has ascended back into heaven. His great concern continues to be his people on earth, the great shepherd of the sheep, shows his constant care for us. The next thing we want to look at this evening to see the heart of Jesus toward us now that he is exalted into heaven is his swift fulfillment of his promises. His swift fulfillment of his promises. Jesus made promises to his disciples on the last night in the upper room just before he was to ascend back into his heavenly Father. And we'll look at those very briefly. The first, if we look back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And verse 12. And Jesus said, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me The words that I, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Jesus promises his disciples that whatever works that he has done, his disciples shall do them also. And not only them, but they shall also do even greater works as well, Greater works than he has done because, at the end of the verse, because I go to the Father. And when I am exalted to my heavenly Father, then I will send my power down to my disciples and they will do greater works than I have ever done. Here we have the promise of greater works. The second promise is found in verses 16 and 17. The promise of the Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father, And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. He is about to depart from earth to his heavenly father. His disciples will be left here on earth alone. But as soon as he arrives in glory, he will ask his heavenly father to send another helper to be alongside of them, one that will be with them not just for a little while and then be taken from them again, but one who will be with them forever to the end of time. The Spirit of truth, who inspired the truth, who knows the truth, who gives understanding to the truth. The Spirit will come, and here we have the promise of the Spirit And a third promise is found in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 13. And Jesus here says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Here is a promise of the Holy Spirit again, specifically that he will guide the apostles into all the truth. For them, it meant that they will be inspired to write the holy scriptures of the New Testament. And so here we have the promise of inspiration that is given to the apostles. So Jesus made these three promises at the Last Supper knowing that he would soon return to his Father in heaven, the promise of the Spirit, the promise of greater works, and the promise of inspiration. The question is, what did Jesus do in regard to these promises once he ascended into heaven? That would surely tell us his heart toward his disciples on earth. Did his attitude toward them and his promises in some way change? Did his concern for them when he entered into glory above, was his concern for them diminished so that he neglected or forgot to fulfill his promises to them? The answer to these questions is an absolute no. Because what we see is that as soon as Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, then he quickly and abundantly began to fulfill his promises. We see this as we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. We'll read verses 4 and 5. And gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, and you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then down in verse 8, once again, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem in and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So again, the promise of the Holy Spirit to the church. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus is taken up into a cloud, and his disciples watch him as he is lifted up and taken out of their sight. He ascends into heaven. He takes his seat at the right hand of God the Father. And then in verse 14, his disciples returned to Jerusalem and continue to pray for the fulfillment of his promises. We read in verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then in verses 15 through the end of the chapter, the apostles appoint a replacement for Judas who had betrayed Jesus. Christ, And then chapter 2 opens. Only a few days later, chapter 2 opens, and it is the day of Pentecost. And on this day of Pentecost, the promise of the Spirit is fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. We read in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The tongues that they were speaking with were the languages of the people who were gathered on this occasion from all different parts of the world for this feast, that they might all understand the gospel in their own language. We read in verses 7 and 8, And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born because they came from all different parts of the world and yet they were hearing the gospel in their own language? In verse 14, Peter stood up and he began to deliver his great sermon in which he explains to them what has happened, that the Christ whom they had crucified upon the cross God had raised him from the dead. And he was now ascended to the right hand of God. And from heaven he had now poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. This is what we read down in verse 33. Peter said, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear the words of Jesus that he had spoken in John chapter 14 and verse 16, where he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus had not forgotten any of those words. And as soon as he ascended into heaven, he asked the Father, and the Father sent the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had now been poured out upon the church abundantly, and profusely the promise of Jesus, the promise of the Spirit, had been fulfilled on this day of Pentecost. Then we see the response of the people to Peter's sermon, verses 37 and 38. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. A most amazing thing had taken place. 3,000 souls had been saved by a single sermon. And in the following chapters, the Lord continues to add many more to the church as they were being saved. And this was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise back in John chapter 14 and verse 12. Greater works than these shall ye do because I go to the Father. The promise of greater works now was being fulfilled. There is no greater work than the conversion of a soul to faith in Jesus for his salvation. It is a new creation. It is a spiritual resurrection and a new birth. The healing of a soul is a far greater work than any healing of the body. The healing of the body lasts for only a little while. The healing of the soul lasts forever and brings one into eternal life forever. No greater healing could there be than the conversion of a sinner to Christ. Jesus promised that the apostles would do greater works than he had done. And his promise was fulfilled because they spoke in tongues in many different languages so that men and women from all over the earth could hear the gospel in their own language. And they did much greater works with one sermon of Peter. Three thousand were saved on this day. And these greater works continue in the church today as the gospel has gone to the furthest ends of the earth to every tribe and tongue and people and the church of Jesus is being built today in every nation of the earth. Men oppose the work and governments use their power to bring it to an end but they can never stop the power of Christ and his gospel. We ask the question, how has the church spread throughout all the centuries, to every part of the earth. The only answer is found, not in what men can do, but only in what Christ continues to do by the promise of the Spirit and by the promise of greater works in this world. There are things that are unique to Pentecost and the times of the apostles which We do not expect to continue today. But the promise of the Holy Spirit continues. And the promise of salvation continues. And this is why the word of God continues to have power in our souls. And to give us light and understanding and obedience. And this is why we hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us in his word. This is why we sense his presence As we gather in his house and hear the gospel being preached, because he continues to fulfill his promise of sending his Holy Spirit down from heaven, the promise of the Spirit and the promise of greater works continues. We add to this the third promise that Jesus made, the promise of inspiration. And we see how abundantly he fulfilled that promise as well. In very short order, he ascended into heaven. And from his throne in heaven, he spoke his word. And by the Holy Spirit, the apostles were inspired to write the scriptures of the New Testament. And what do we find in all the scriptures of the New Testament? Words of love and grace to us from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ so the promises that Jesus spoke in the upper room the promise of the spirit the promise of greater works the promise of inspiration they have all been fulfilled and are being fulfilled so richly so fully even as he after he quickly ascended into heaven and they are all proof of his continuing heart of love and affection for us from the right hand of God the Father. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken any of his promises and he has given us abundant evidence and we can have no doubt that his heart remains the same toward us as it ever was. But we wonder what is his heart toward the unconverted in this world? And what is his heart towards sinners? We find the answer in the book of Acts, chapter 26. In Acts, chapter 26, beginning in verse 12, Paul explains to King Agrippa, How he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And down in verse 17, Jesus commissioned Paul as an apostle. And Jesus said to him, verse 17, Delivering you from from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. These words that were spoken to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, they were words that were spoken some years after Jesus' ascension, and these are words that he spoke from heaven. And his heart towards sinners on earth has not changed. These are words of mercy and these are words of his desire for their salvation. He is sending to them the gospel that they might turn from darkness into the light of his kingdom. That they might escape out of the power of Satan and come to God that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and be sanctified and enter in to the eternal inheritance all of these things these are jesus words these are his desires from heaven to sinners on earth this is why he commissioned the apostle and this is why he continues to send his gospel to all the nations it is the same thing that paul said in first timothy chapter 1 where paul where paul said 1 Timothy chapter 1, in regard to himself, he said, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And he said, it is a trustworthy statement. It has always been and will always be a most trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into the world sinners to save among whom I am foremost of all. And Paul says, yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Jesus was the friend of sinners on earth, and he is still the friend of sinners in heaven and his heart toward them has not changed. Let us turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation and chapter 1. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Now, John wrote this book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the book of the Revelation. He wrote this 60 years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. Sixty years, he was the last living apostle in his 90s. And now he writes this book of the revelation. And verse 1 says, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not just the revelation of things which are to come. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of who he is. It is the revelation of his heart now that he is in heaven. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see down in verse 17, at the end of verse 17 and verse 18, Jesus spoke to John and told him who he is. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. He was once dead. He is not dead anymore. He is alive. He is the living one. The one who lives forever, is the eternally alive at the right hand of God in heaven. And let us see what the last words of Jesus from heaven recorded for us in the scriptures are. And we find them in chapter 22, in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation and verse 17. We read beginning at verse 16. Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And then we read this in verse 17. He, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Here we see a mutual calling of the saints on earth up into heaven and a calling of heaven down to earth. In the beginning of verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Here we have the Holy Spirit in the heart of the saints the bride of Christ on earth, crying out to him in heaven, they say, come. They are on earth and they are crying to Jesus in heaven to come quickly and bring them up into his glory. And then we read, and let the one who hears say, come. The one who hears now in heaven is Christ who hears the cry of his bride on earth. Let the one who hears say, come. And he does desire to come. And to bring his bride to himself, he is eager for her to be with him where he is and for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he cannot yet come. He cannot yet come because all of his elect are not saved. And so this is why he calls from earth to men. He says, come and let the one who hears in heaven, Christ, he still says to men, come to me for my salvation. So he calls men to receive him through the gospel so that all of his people will be saved and then he will return and come again. But now at the end of verse 17 To bring all things to an end and to hasten the second coming, we have both the church on earth and Christ in heaven, both crying to men to come to him. At the end of verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Here is the church preaching the gospel. And Christ calling sinners through that gospel that they would come. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes to take the water of life, let him come without any cost. Jesus in heaven is not indifferent or complacent about his second coming, he desires to come quickly. But he cannot come until all that the Father has given him come to him. And as soon as the last one is gathered in, then he will wait not one moment longer, and he will tarry no more, and he will come quickly down from heaven. As he says in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Come, Jesus says to sinners, come and enter into my kingdom. For I am coming very quickly. The words in verse 17, let him, let the one who is thirsty come. Those are the same words Jesus preached in John chapter 17 when he cried out on the great day of the feast in the temple. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The same words that Jesus cried to sinners on that great day of the feast in the temple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Those are the same words that he cries to sinners now from heaven. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone desires to drink from the waters of eternal life, then come and come quickly because I am coming quickly back From heaven. May you hear the voice of Jesus tonight. And may you come to him. And embrace him. In faith. In love. And follow him. For he is coming quickly. At a time. We do not know. May we be ready. For Jesus. When he returns. By coming to him. And believing in his gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has ascended back into heaven. And thank you that we may look into the scriptures and see what his heart still is toward us as his people on earth. Thank you for his continuing love and affection that is always upon us. Though we do not see him with our eyes, we do see him by faith, and he always watches over us from heaven. Thank you that we may rest and trust in him. Help us to do so, and help us to believe more in all that he has said. Bless your word to those who do not know you. Lord Jesus, may all come to Jesus, who hear these words tonight and find mercy and forgiveness and cleansing of their sins. Lord Jesus, hear us now and bless your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.